Welcome to the last week of student development theory. As always, I am your host, Dr. Gavin Weiser, and this week we are wrapping up this semester. Um, and so we're talking a little bit about appreciative education, and I'm very fortunate to have with us today Dr. Jenny Bloom to talk a little bit about um, her work with uh, appreciative inquiry through appreciative advising and now into appreciative education. Uh, but as always, we'll get started with our dispatch from the field. Hi everyone, my name is Miranda James. I use she, her pronouns. I am a CSPA alum of 2019 and I currently work at Reed College and I'm an area coordinator in residence life. Uh, in terms of my use of theory in day-to-day -day practice, I would say that I, I use theory unofficially. So uh, at this moment, our department doesn't have any, um, isn't using any guiding uh, theoretical frameworks for the work that we do. However, I am using theory um, unofficially and when I meet with students and I'm doing student meetings, I think the thing that I use the most is marginality and mattering. Uh, so thinking about uh, students and how is it that they fit into their residential communities? How do they make sure they feel like they belong both on campus, in the residence halls, in this Reed College community? Um, and honestly, when I'm meeting with students and I, I've worked in first year communities, both last year and this upcoming year, um, that seems to be the, the biggest thing that, that first years are dealing with is, is this sense of belonging. Um, so do I open a book and, and say like, what does Schlossberg say about marginality and mattering? No. Um, but I, I always bring back when I'm meeting with students and I'm thinking about their needs and what they're saying to me and what I think they're actually trying to say to me versus what they're actually saying. Um, I bring it back to that sense of belonging, that sense of, of mattering in the community. And if they feel like they don't matter, if they feel like they don't belong, how do I find ways of, of helping them get engaged and, and create a sense of belonging? Thank you so much for that, Miranda. It was really great to be able to reconnect and catch up with you and see what you're doing since you left the CSBA program. Uh, we have a, a bit of an abbreviated program this week, um, and so we're going to jump right into our interview with Dr. Bloom, um, or as so many people affectionately know her as Jenny, um, and then we'll wrap up. Continue. Okay. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm very uh, honored and privileged to have with us uh, Dr. Jenny Bloom. Uh, Jenny Bloom joined the faculty in the Department of Educational Leadership and Research Methodology at Florida Atlantic University in August of 2015. Uh, in August of 2019, she was promoted to full professor uh, with tenure and is also working as a 50% time fellow in the provost office where she coordinates the Leadership and Professional Development Institute. Additionally, she's the coordinator of higher education leadership master's degree program. And Jenny has also founded the Office of Appreciative Education at Florida Atlantic University in 2015. She previously served as clinical professor and director of the master's degree program in the higher education and student affairs program at the University of South Carolina, uh, where I received my degree 
uh, Jenny was uh, my faculty director um, and professor and mentor while I was there. Um, so I'm very excited to have her join with us today. Uh, she is the co-founder of the Appreciative Advising and Appreciative Education Movements. She established the annual Appreciative Advising Summer Institute, the Appreciative Education Conference, and the online Appreciative Advising course, the process for certifying appreciative advisors and other exciting initiatives related to appreciative advising and appreciative education. She's co-authored six books and numerous articles, including one with me and a colleague of ours named Vin many moons ago, and has presented her work at over 350 different higher education institutions and conferences. I had the opportunity, I was in outside of Chicago on vacation when I was a master's student and got to see Jenny present uh, at a, um, some college outside of Chicago. I'm blank on the name of it at this moment, but it was really exciting and really cool to see Jenny, who is my professor, seeing her as uh, a facilitator many years ago. She received her EDD in higher education administration from the University of Illinois just down the street, but perhaps more exciting and more importantly for all of you uh, here watching this, she received her bachelor's degree in physical education teaching from the one, the only Illinois State University. Uh, go Redbirds, Jenny. Go Redbirds, go Redbirds. Thank you so much for joining us, joining me today. Um, so I have a few questions uh, related to appreciative education. Uh, we're reading your piece that you authored in New Directions for Student Services, I believe in 2013 or uh, so. Um, and I'm so, wise. yeah. Yeah, I remember sort of that piece coming out and I was in graduate school uh, right before then with uh, one of the authors, Erin, and I remember her talking to me about writing that piece and, and it seems like it was just yesterday and it's already quite some, quite, quite some time. Uh, yeah. And so I would love to hear uh, from you uh, sort of what is the kind of the genesis and the intellectual trajectory of appreciative education? Yeah, so Gavin, thanks for uh, inviting me to speak to your students. Of course, uh, ISU is my alma mater. And so I'm thrilled that you're there and, and delighted to have this opportunity to talk to your students. Um, yeah, so what is the intellectual trajectory of this? So maybe I can start with maybe the beginning of uh, appreciative advising. And I was at, uh, I was working at the University of Illinois. I, after I graduated from ISU, I got my master's degree in athletic administration from the University of Illinois. Uh, but more importantly, my graduate assistantship was with the um, transition program at Illinois, which was for uh, underrepresented minority students that came from Chicago, inner city Chicago and were admitted with lower ACT scores and high school ranks. And I just absolutely, the first day that I met with a student, I just like, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. I just knew it. And so I did that for a couple of years and I was looking for an advising job and I got one at the Institute of Aviation at Illinois. And I did that for five years after the first year I ended up starting my doctorate in higher education uh, while I was working full time and finished that and then went on to work at the medical school at Illinois, started as the coordinator of the MD-PhD program, which involved, I, I had about 175 students, but I was in charge of the admissions process for that and then kind of worked my way up. I spent 12 years working there and eventually became the Dean of Students of the Medical School and ran the MD-PhD program. So 
somewhere along the way, and this has an ISU story. It's a little bit of a long story, but I think it's 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 kind of a cool story. I um, got invited to attend a, an American Council on Education event up in Chicago. It was actually at Hamburger University, and I uh, there was a woman there that was speaking, and she was from ISU, and she mentioned that she had attended this this event this forum event at ace uh, headquarters in washington dc and she just said it really quickly but afterwards i went up to her and i said you you mentioned something about this professional development thing at uh at ace it was a forum and she's like yeah oh yeah it was a fantastic learning opportunity and uh, I got to meet like college presidents and search consultants and it was amazing and I was like oh man that sounds fascinating she's like yeah the only thing is that you have to be nominated to go I was like oh okay I, I understand she's like I'll nominate you and I was like okay sure uh and so I followed up with her sent her my resume and she did she sent in the nomination and I heard nothing, <laughs> nothing. But I was at Illinois at the time and Stan Eikenberry, who was the president of the University of Illinois had just become president of the American Council on Education after he had retired as president of Illinois. And through my husband, Steve, I knew his secretary and his secretary, Marcella continued to work at Illinois for Stan, even though Stan was in DC. And so one day I was in the College of Education and I went and I talked to Marcella and I said, Marcella, I just wanted to ask you something. I've, I got nominated for this program at ACE and I haven't heard anything and I'm sure I didn't get it, but I just, I don't know, I just would like to know that I didn't get it. And she's like, okay, let me make a phone call. Like five minutes later, I had a phone call from ACE inviting me to come to this event. And so I went and the reason I had not been invited up until that point was that I had no business being there. It was really for senior women who were on track to become college presidents. And I was like the youngest person in the room by about 20 years. And, it, but it was great. Oh my gosh, they had all these college presidents come in and uh, search consultants on the last day, there was a woman who was a search consultant that did like a seven hour workshop, a values-based approach to advancing your career. And about an hour into it, somebody said, hey, Nancy, this is great stuff. Have you ever, I've never seen anything like this in writing. Have you written something about this? And she's like, you know what? I've been meaning to write about like a book about this for the last 10 or 15 years. But now Jenny and I are going to write this book together. And I was like looking around the room. There's like 30 women. I'm like, I've spent three days here. I think I'm the only Jenny, but I know she's not talking about me. Well, I was the only Jenny. She was talking about me. And so I went up to her afterwards. I said, Nancy, I'm sure you're joking, but I would love to do this with you. And she's like, I'm dead serious. So anyway, um, I went back six months later. These are held every six months. And Nancy was there. And she, she said, you know, come and take notes this next time. And so I did. And then Nancy lives on Nantucket. So we went to Nantucket afterwards. That's rough, I know. Um, and we ended up starting to write this book together. And then in 2002, I was um, teaching a, a graduate level class on academic advising at the University of Illinois. And my first time I taught it, I had all of my students write an article for publication. 
And even though I had no publications at the time, which was a ridiculous thing for me to do, but anyway, I did it and we all got published, but it's second time around I'm teaching this course and I'm looking for a topic because I'm like, I need to have another publication because I, at the end of this class, my students will have as many publications as me, which was one. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying to think of what I'm going to write about. And then we did this presentation together at ACE and somebody came up to us after the pre presentation and said, is this appreciative inquiry? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, what's appreciative inquiry? And Nancy and I went back to Nantucket and we spent all weekend just kind of researching what appreciative inquiry was. And it was like, oh, this is what we're talking about. It's like, this makes sense. And then as I was afterwards, I was thinking, wow, this, this is actually what I'm doing in my advising. And so Nancy and I ended up writing this article that summer titled Incorporating Appreciative Inquiry into Academic Advising. And that, that article like literally changed the course of my life and uh, started giving presentations about it at, at NACADA events, the National Academic Advising Association, and it just was taking off. And uh, about three years after that, I met Bryant and Jane from uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro who were using the framework to uh, run their academic advising service at, Bryant was running it at UNCG. And they had data that showed that it worked and that really kind of accelerated things. And so Bryant and Jane and I ended up writing the Appreciative Advising Revolution book together in 2008. So um, that's about the time that I came to the University of South Carolina and I was teaching a course. Had, of course, I had Gavin in class and in one of my classes, I required people to write articles for a publication. And, they would read about appreciative advising and they're like, wow, this is kind of what we're doing in housing. This is kind of like what we're doing in student conduct. This is what we're doing in fraternity and sorority life. And so they started writing articles about how you can use the appreciative advising framework in all of those areas and development and so much more. And that really opened my eyes to, to go to realize that appreciative advising wasn't just a way to enhance advisor um, interactions with students. That is really a framework about how do you build good relationships with other people? And I think the fact that it is a framework and not a dictation allowed it to, to be used in all these different fields. And Gavin, I don't think if I had gone to South Carolina and had all the students see this so clearly from their particular disciplines, I don't know that we'd be talking about appreciative education. Um, so anyway, you know, things just kind of continued to accelerate, you know, appreciative advising is now being done kind of literally all over the world. I've gotten to travel all over the world, which I would have never, ever guessed would have happened based on one little article. But then it was being used in all these areas. And so, um, you know, when you take the power of appreciative advising, which is how do you build good relationships with people and you couple that with the power of appreciative inquiry, which is about how do you 
optimize and leverage the best in your organization. And then you start to think about throwing in appreciative leadership or what we call appreciative administration into this. It just became clearer and clearer to me that you could actually run educational organizations using this appreciative approach. And that was really exciting to me. But being able to kind of articulate that, talking about it, and then translating that into writing, it's its a little more, it's a challenge uh, to be able to do it because it's kind of theoretical and philosophical. But um, we're, we're getting better and better, I think, at being able to articulate the, the, pow- the potential of creating organizations that are all singing out of this same kind of songbook, this appreciative education songbook about, uh, that is kind of undergirded by the appreciative mindset. So anyway, that's kind of a long answer, but it's, it's been qu- quite the, the, the journey, I have to say, uh, to, to get to this point. So, you know, that original article came out in 2002 and here it is 2020, but it's, it's what has captivated me and uh, driven me to become a faculty member, uh, given me the opportunity to come here to FAU and to become uh, a tenured full professor, which I would have never guessed uh, when I was an administrator at the University of Illinois. And I certainly would have guessed that when I was an undergraduate at Illinois State University. I, I kind of consider myself to be an accidental professor. I think I think we share that in common a little bit, Jenny. I, uh, you know, um, yeah, for sure. I was uh, when I was in your classes back in the day. I never foresaw myself becoming a professor or even getting a PhD or or EDD uh, or any sort of terminal degree. I was interested in you know doing student affairs work and and sort of shifted uh, my mindset in terms of just being passionate about research and, and solving and answering questions. Yeah. So and and you're in part thanks for that. Um, and so what I find really interesting, I mentioned this a little bit in our, our, our pre-tape, is in rereading the piece that we're reading for class, I see so much of you in, in the article. And, and you know, only because I don't really know the other authors, I'm sure they're in there as well. But I get to see, which is really magical for me as a personal thing, to see how you were as a uh, mentor, as a, an advisor, as a teacher in your writing. Um, and getting to now share that not only for your through your scholarship but through this conversation with the students is something that is really special to me. So, just wanted thank to highlight you. that. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I, I, what I, what do I uh, appreciate most about working with Bryant and Jane, my co-authors on the Appreciative Advising Revolution and the training workbook and lots and lots of articles since that point, is that we all come from very different backgrounds and areas of expertise. And I think, you know, my greatest contribution is I'm really interested in how do we take theory and actually live it out, like make it, and how do we teach other people how to live out theory? Because to me, I mean, theory, theory is important. There's, don't get me wrong, there's a place for theory, but my my interest is how do we make it practical for people? Like how do we make theory practical? And you know, appreciative advising has these deep theoretical infrastructures 
uh, and it also has specific behaviors and skills that you can teach other people how to do or remind people. Uh, I always say, you know, it's not, this is not brain, brain science or, you know, rocket science. It's, it's, um, it's, it's based in the research and it's practical. And I think that's why advisors and professionals have glommed onto it is because it does, it's tangible. Um, and if you read the Appreciative Advising Revolution book, you see you know, a little bit in that Appreciative Education article. It also has this really deep theoretical infrastructure behind it that uh, my, that Bryant and Jane in particular, I mean, they're really, really, uh, they're super smart and they cover a lot of, of that quite in depth. So it's just a really, you know, you don't have to know everything. What you got to do in life is you got to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are and who have, uh, you know, different perspectives and different uh, approaches. And, you know, that's where the magic happens is, is when you get together really smart, committed people who think differently uh, and have different backgrounds, you can really create something I think that can be lasting and, and powerful. Yeah, I, I still use your uh, presidential cabinet model uh, with my students. And so I hear some of that. And I also think about um, some of my own, you know, like reflecting as we're talking now on, and this is the first like in-depth conversation we've had probably in a decade. Yep. Uh, and, you know, thinking about some of my early commitments as a scholar was to recontextualize and demystify scholarship literature and theory for practitioners. And so early in my career was, you know, as an outdoor educator, and there was this large disconnect between the faculty who were teaching it and the practitioners. Yep. Uh, and I think that has kind of probably stemmed from some of this and from a, your uh, guidance and, and still important to my work today. And so just an interesting yeah. thing. I think it, I think it, you know, I think it's really important. Like I've never forgotten what it was like to be a graduate advisor. I've never forgotten what it was like to be a full-time undergraduate advisor. You know, then I got to be an advising administrator at the medical school and now I'm a faculty advisor. And so when I'm going out and speaking to both faculty and student affairs administrators and academic advisor, like I have done all of those things. You know, when I was at the medical school, I was Dean of Students of the medical school. So that was, you know, you don't have different departments, you have, you do everything. And so that was such a, a blessing that those first 20 years of my life, I got to, to get all kinds of great hands-on experience. And I, I, I also just have such a deep appreciation for the important role that that academic advisors and frontline student affairs um, professionals play, because I know that they're the ones that are really having the impact on students. And I think there's a lot of more senior level administrators and faculty members that don't get that. I get that. I've been there. I've done that. And But then again, I understand what it's like to be a faculty member and the constraints that faculty members are under. And, you know, that understanding of all those different roles and how it really does take a village is I, I think has, has, you know, it's kind of an accidental like pathway for me, but it's really worked, worked well for me. 
what excites you about appreciative education? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I probably now have presented on this like over 500 times. I mean, and I'm the kind of person I don't like to watch TV shows or movies two times. Like I get bored really easily. And so I think the thing that is, that has kept me engaged and kept me excited is that it's a framework. And therefore, it allows me to bring in the latest greatest. So in terms of the research, in terms of experiences, in terms of, you know, the business literature, in terms of, uh, you know, like we're, I'm working on an article right now with uh, Ben Forshi actually, uh, and Pete Mather and uh, one of their colleagues at Ohio University, Amants, who's done work in career advising on uh, brain-based career development. And so we're writing an article that shows how there's great synergy between these two frameworks. So, you know, you can do that. You can, you know, I can think about, uh, you know, taking a more critical lens of looking at the work that we're doing in appreciative advising. How can we be more intentional about, uh, bringing anti-racist work and social justice work and, you know, the world is evolving. And I think sometimes some theories are just kind of limited in terms of time and space. And I think, and this is not due to me, this is due to David Cooper Ryder, who is the guy who started Appreciative Inquiry, that I, it's his brilliance that he came up with this framework that I think has stood the test of time. And it has also, it's adaptable to work with all kinds of different organizations uh, from nonprofits to companies, to the military, you know, all these different organizations are using appreciative inquiry. And now all of these aspects of higher education and education, and by the way, the other part that's really exciting to me and has been part of this from I don't, the beginning days of appreciative uh, advising when I was at, uh, at South Carolina is that I don't envision this just as a framework to, to be able to be used to run higher education institutions that K through 12 institutions can be run using this. And so, uh, you know, an exciting thing uh, in the last couple of years is that I've been able to teach a class on appreciative administration for K through 12 uh, school leaders. So principals and above in Broward County, uh, which is just south of where I live. It's one of the largest school districts in the country. And to see them glom on to that framework uh, and just, just, I mean, just immediately get it, it has been really exciting. So I think it's, it's all those things. It's the diversity of how it's being used and with what populations it's being used. And it just, there's, I mean, there's no shortage of ideas <laughs> for professional development training that I have, nor for, you know, how can we expand this? In fact, Bryant and Jane and Amanda and I are working on, uh, we just started to work on uh, a book about what does it mean to be an appreciative educator, right? Because as you kind of alluded to earlier, Gavin, this has kind of moved beyond uh, academic advising. And so I think that's where using this terminology of appreciative education is much more representative of, of what it, what, how, it, how it can be used and where it is being used.
Yeah, I think it, I think I, I see the it's Genesis because it is such a relational model, right? And so it's it's more simplistic, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, to build a relationship when uh, it's one on one, right? And so yep. that's make where that's that Genesis. But what does it look like at scale when we're talking about a classroom and a space of multiple people, whether it's a you know a university classroom or an office dynamic? Um, so some some room for new creations. I yeah, think. right. And, you know, we've got the Appreciative College Instruction Book that, you know, we wrote with Claire Robinson about how this can be used in teaching. And I mean, again, you know, right at this point in my life, I just see everything through these six phases of this appreciative approach. And uh, yeah, so it's just like, and Gavin, I think now more than ever, as we're in these, you know, multiple pandemics that we're dealing with right now, is uh, maybe 2020 has been the, the, the time out that we all needed to sit back and realize how much we need each other, you know, and that it is through relationships that you get things done that, you know, organizations are, are people, they're not they're not some amorphous building, it's the people. And so, you know, for many years now, I've been concerned about how much time people are spending on their phones and not looking at each other. Hey, Gavin's good to see you, you know, and not connecting. And it's interesting that <laughs> this pandemic has made people put down their phones. We're on Zoom more, but it's it's really rude if I was just like, yeah, what was that that you said, Gavin? Uh, you know, like it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting that this technology has trumped, I think, no pun intended, by the way, um, <laughs> this, the, the hand technology and we are so distracted. And I think this has forced us to get recentered on who we are and you know what we're trying to accomplish and just how much we literally need each other and not just to get things done but we're just social beings and um and and i'm hoping when when we come out of this and we won't go back to normal i mean normal's gone this is normal what we're doing right now is normal um that as we create this new normal, that we don't go back to this thing where we're all walking around campus with our head down and running into the fountain, you know, like that. I I I hope we we have learned <laughs> this lesson well uh, during this pandemic because I think it's more important than ever. And I just don't think people have as much experience like building relationships with people like. When, when you're texting people, it's a whole different thing than being face-to-face -face with people. And I, but I think we can teach people. So, you know, as Cy Wakeman says, you know, stop judging and start helping. Let's, let's educate people and not from this, you know, I'm a good person and I'm talking to you as this bad person. It's not that at all. It's just like, I'm a perfectly imperfect human being. I've learned a few things I'm gonna share, but I wanna hear from you about what you've learned. Um, that's a much more effective way, I think, to teach people. Again, I wonder how many times my student, the students in this class, get bored by me talking to other professors because uh, we end up just spitballing about ideas a little bit. But as you're talking about that relational uh, 
notion of appreciative ed, I'm thinking about this book that I'm reading that I'm assigning for a new class I'm teaching next semester called Mutual Aid. Uh, okay. Aid. Um, and it's, it's sort of okay. about how, you know, large scale governmental programs assert and fail um, when mutual aid programs can succeed. Uh, and the mutual aid being this sort of like um, non-hierarchical approach to helping one another um, and not relying upon other things. And I'm not all the way through it yet. Um, yeah, I love it. I'll, I've, I've written it down. Um, yeah. And there's a new book that just come, came out about the importance of relationships and higher ed. And I've ordered, I've got that on my Kindle. I haven't read it either. But, you know, I mean, business is, is coming to this conclusion too, right? It's not just um, education where this is important. Businesses are finally realizing that, you know, that they can't, that they've got to invest in their people and they've got to build relationships with their people. So it's good. Hopefully we're evolving. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, of this course. Has been a delightful conversation. Um, any last comments or thoughts to share um, with the students? Uh, you know, I, I'm it's Gavin knows like my my email address and my my cell phone number are probably out there in the universe more than any other person on the planet. Uh, but I want to and and Gavin can uh, always feel free to share both of those. But my email address is Jenny with a Y bloom 14 at gmail.com. And my cell number is 217-766-4212. Uh, I am a Redbird. So I'm, I'm always happy to help. And if you want to, you know, follow up with me, please feel free to do so. I'd be delighted to, to chat with you. Great. Thanks, Jenny. Appreciate Take care, it. Gavin.